0: Welcome to at Midday, the actuality news show, offering unique insights and in-depth analysis featuring South Africa's top business leaders, newsmakers and analysts for today's professionals. Your host, Jeremy Mads.
1: Welcome to MoneyWeb at Midday. I'm Jeremy Mags with a brisk 30 minutes on the latest in South African and global news. We're live and then up as a podcast. We'll bring you insightful interviews with key business and political figures, prominent newsmakers and leading experts all packaged into a concise, informative update. It's Monday, the 22nd of January. Coming up on the programme, does the President have any time open access to Air Force jets for party political use? The Rise Mzanzi Party and its new political manifesto, the rules around parties calling you up and looking for registration details, is the ANC running scared of Jacob Zuma and should travel agents be regulated after an increase in scams?
0: You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday.
1: A new scandal has erupted over the presidency's use of the Air Force's Falcon 50, one of the VIP squadron's oldest jets. It's made 10 flights between Cape Town, Vatakhof and Bombella in the run-up to the ANC's festivities in January this month. After after uh, maximum use. The rest of the squadron's jets, including Inquanazi, the presidential jet we understand, are currently out of action. Let's get to grips with that story. What's the protocol around this from the Democratic Alliance? Kobus Mare, a very warm welcome to you. So what are those protocols, and in your opinion, have they been breached?
2: Uh, Good afternoon, Jeremy. Good afternoon to your listeners. Uh, I think right from the start, one must make a distinction between uh, first of all, the, the guidelines in the presidential handbook and then there are the ministerial handbook uh, applicable for members of the executive and members of parliament and then obviously what is responsible um, and and the right thing to do under the conditions of the current dwindling defence budget and the um, uh, dilapidated state of especially the, the air force where we haven't got the funds to maintain aircraft properly, to make sure that pilots and air crews, um, um, you know, um, competency levels are achieved and maintained. Um, and then obviously, you know, the fact that 80, less, um, at least 85% of all Air Force platforms are grounded. So, so, one must look at it in all of this mm-hmm. now, first of all the the ministerial handbook makes it very clear that air force um aircraft may not be used by the members of the executive and members of parliament for party political purposes. The presidential handbook, on the other hand, provide for transport for the president and the deputy president to be provided by 21 squadron which is the vip squadron of the air force and it doesn't say no nothing for party political purposes because in many instances for transporting the president and the deputy president unfortunately under the circumstances you know it seems like the 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 falcon was used as a as a daily commuting taxi between, between Cape Town, Bombella, and especially Air Force Base Waterproof and Bombella. Uh, and it seems like in some cases, people were taxied down there and brought back the same day. In some days, there are more than uh, three trips down to Bombella. Um, and, and that implies that they have even transported ANC functionaries on the aircraft and even guests of part for party political purposes. Now that was never the intention of the of, of, of the leeway in the presidential uh, handbook. That was clear they can transport people, like for instance their advisors, when Gerard Kurunov accompanies the president on on inquiry wherever they go flying in the rest of the world. Yes, that is allowed and even his own uh assistants mm. and PAs and things like that. But not for party political
1: functionaries and for party political. Um, guests. So, be, so be, what, what you're telling actions. me, Kobus Mare, is there's no alignment with the current protocols either in the ministerial or the presidential handbook rules were flouted. Is is, is your suggestion?
2: Yes, yes, and also, and also, um, uh, you know what one would expect from the commander of chi- in chief of the defence force in terms of responsibility, accountability, and acting in the best interests of South Africans and the defence force in particular. Um, we know that because of the of the depriving budget, the Air Force cannot comply with section two hundred two of the sec- of the constitution because of money. But in the meantime there are always money to be spent on the president and these and ANC functionaries and that is that is irresponsible, it's unethical, it is immoral to, to see that.
1: And so to allow what that. potential legal or regulatory challenges could arise from this situation?
2: The the legal um, uh, ramifications is going to be difficult because they're going to hide behind what the uh, the vagueness of the presidential handbook. Say so well, they so they will claim that they've done nothing illegal. It might be, but they've done something very irresponsible and very unethical and very immoral. So what we can do is to expose that, to drive that. Remember the Zim Safari by the previous Minister of Defence. To 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 Harare to meet with the with the ZANU PF, there the president has fined the minister and she had to pay back I think three months of mm-hmm. her salary. Now the president and the deputy president is equally um, guilty of exactly the same thing. Right, double I understand
1: I understand your argument. How should yeah. the president and the deputy president have been transported to this uh, function or this event then have taken place?
2: For for, for for them themselves, one would expect that they would be transported down to Bombella and that they would be accommodated and housed and paid for by the, the ANC to stay there and not flying down every day and being back to Pretoria every night because that is at the cost of the taxpayers and the and 21 Squadron of the Air Force. But a president so, could so
1: conceivably have other engagements outside of Bombella, surely?
2: Well, surely. But I mean, to do that on a daily basis, it doesn't make sense to just fly back and sleep at night in Pretoria and fly back the next day again.
1: If, in fact, and he was, even, if in know, fact he a, was doing Friday, that, my point still remains, well, it, he, he might have had other engagements that we don't know about, official engagements.
2: It, it, it might be, but we know for the weekend um you know to fly down on the Friday, we know he was there on the Saturday and the Sunday, and to do that same flight on the uh routine return flights on the Monday. it shows that you know he's been over the weekend he was in bombella at the a n c and even during the week, but you know he he flew back in the evenings and 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 that is an abuse of uh of 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 you know. Confidence that we have shown in him mm-hmm. via the handbook, and it's an abuse of that. And it, that seems, is it seems to me the,
1: the seems to me the handbook might need to be relooked at.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 I think the 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 DA is on record to say that both the ministerial handbook and the presidential handbook mm-hmm. is uh, is 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 wide and open to be you know for abuse, and and clearly you know um, if there's another government coming in, that those things might be the first to be shown in uh, to be thrown in the dustbin and
1: to be redone all right kurbas mare from the democratic alliance thank you very much you're listening to Moneyweb web at midday all right first out of the manifesto block is the rise Zanzi party launching its 2024 election manifesto this weekend ahead of its long established rivals party leader songazo zibi is with us now so why so early and was this a risk
0: Jeremy, thank you for having me on. We decided to go in January because we're not certain when the election is going to be. We are a new political party. We are trying to establish ourselves. It's important that we get in and sustain our messaging as early as possible.
1: Do you think, Songezo Zibi, that voters actually read manifestos?
0: Voters don't read manifestos as you compile them. What voters look for is whether the things they told you they wanted are in your political message. And our People's Manifesto is a reflection of the things the voters said they wanted to be solved. And we're going back to them to say, we listen to you. This is now part of our political program. Please help us grow by voting for us.
1: It's very clear, Songezo, that uh, during the launch of the manifesto, on several occasions, you spoke about this concept of new politics. I want you to tell me yes. what that actually means.
0: So the new politics is is using and expressing politics in ways that speak directly to people's lives. And a specific example in our manifesto, we've got a category of uh, policies that other political parties have never framed before. We've got individual, family and community well-being. And that is where you find your social policies in the main, you find spatial planning, you find land justice and land distribution and so on, because you're able to tell the story in a way that can be visualized by the voter and they can see how their lives could change across a number of areas. So give me an example. For example, we, we have, I will use an example about the things that uh, women voters have told us. Women voters have told us uh, that they've got the burden of care. They have to provide food for their families, even when they don't have work. They've told us they find it difficult to go and look for work because there are no daycare or child facilities in their communities. They have also told us that even when they work, they struggle to make ends meet. What has our response, Jeremy, been? Our response has been to prioritize food uh, security or providing food to families, especially children, so that you do not have standing and all of these problems. Child care centers in every community, early childhood development centers in every community, health facilities within 15 minutes of every home, and making child-related expenses, especially for single mothers or single-parent families, tax deductible up to a certain level of income. Those are the examples.
1: Often when it comes to party manifestos, Songezo parties are big, enough, big on ideas but they're short on how they're going to fund them. Have you done a cost-benefit analysis on all of these ideas?
0: We've done a a a cost-benefit analysis, or maybe a a cost-prioritization exercise. And there are certain things that, that I think are important. Firstly, South Africa spends too much on sovereign debt. It's now our number one priority. And we propose ways in which the state's commitments in terms of sovereign debt can reduce rather rapidly especially by reducing how much debt is guaranteed to state-owned companies that creates the fiscal headroom you currently don't have in order to reprioritize to other areas secondly there are quite a few things that I think need to be deprioritized right now in favor of the social wage bailing out SAA once again as an example is just not something that will prioritize that should be the job of private enterprises pension fund can can invest in in airlines and so on but it's not for the government to build and sustain airlines for example
1: you also spoke about an independent and well-resourced anti-corruption agency what would that look like
0: so, I think, so, as a reference point, South Africans know the scorpions were, were destroyed, and the police were put under the authority of the under the authority of the of the police commissioner, and that that was the end of proper corruption investigations. We believe that our constitution allows for an independent an independent uh, body to conduct such investigations and be accountable primarily to parliament in the same way that chapter institutions are so we don't need to alter the constitution but we can insulate such a unit from a from political interference
1: and what cabinet ministries would you cut
0: so it's less about cutting cabinet ministers but i'll make a couple of examples because this is about reorganizing cabinet and that's the term that we that that that, that we emphasize first before you reduce i'll make one example we have a department of trade and industry we have the national treasury we have the department of uh, we have the department of foreign affairs we believe the trade element of uh, the department of trade and industry can go to a department like uh, the department of foreign affairs you make them One ministry, it's done like that in Australia and it works very well. That's one example. Secondly, the Constitution says the responsibility for economic planning rests with the National Treasury. But it is all over the place. You've got Department of Small Business, Department of Trade and Industry, you know, various other departments. That responsibility can go to the National Treasury, for instance. So we need to reorganize cabinet to work In a way, that is as practical as possible for what we need to do.
1: Let me ask you one final question. Is the success of your party, of Raisa Zanzi not going to be predicated on you working in a broader coalition with other smaller parties who might have the same thinking, who might have the same idea? Surely you would be concerned about the fragmentation that exists in the current space.
0: No, no, we are, but the majority of our supporters and activists tend to fall into two into three categories: One is generally people who currently or have previously supported the African National Congress. secondly, it's people who voted for other political parties but were actually voting against the a n c so their locus of political decision making is the a n c and the third big category are new voters people who have never voted before, or we have. Lots of young people in our organisation who are registering as we speak, and we believe that will make a contribution by bringing back voters who are actually not voting in previous elections back into politics.
1: gezo so, Zibi, thank you very much indeed.
0: Top stories to keep your eyes and ears on. The African
1: National Congress has chosen not to take disciplinary steps against Jacob Zuma before the election this year. In effect, that allows him to continue looking for votes for the newly formed Mkonto Sizwe party, even though he is still a member of the ANC's National Executive Committee. What could be behind the ANC's thinking in this respect? Let's get a view now from Dr. Levy Ndau, who is a well-known and respected political commentator. Dr. Ndau, welcome. Is the ANC scared of Jacob Zuma?
3: Good morning to you. Good morning to the listeners. I think it's a it's a very uh, uh, difficult situation for the ANC. And um, Jacob Zuma, uh, whether he's in or outside the ANC, he remains a factor in the politics of the ANC and that of the country. He's a factor in the ANC politics because... He is constantly defying the uh, constitution of the ANC and the leadership of the ANC whilst he maintains the position that remains in the party. And my view is that the ANC could have decided to say the best thing is not to focus on um, Jacob Zuma. The best thing for the ANC in my view is that They want to concentrate on their programs, and if there's anything that they have to deal with, they'll have to deal with that uh, only after the elections.
1: But there is a degree of hypocrisy here because the former president has already violated the ANC's constitution, which on my reading stipulates that any member who pledges to support another party could be expelled. So precedent one has been created for transgressors. And second of all, to my point about uh, this is a very hypocritical thinking, isn't it?
3: There are statements that are quite consistent um, from some members of the ANC and leaders of the ANC who keep saying that um, his actions um, clearly indicates that he's no longer within the party, has actually expelled himself from the party. And I think that's why they would actually be saying, whether you, you call him for DC or not, his actions are clear that is uh, actually outside the party. What then would be the reason to sit down and have um, a disciplinary committee? That could be another thinking. Mm. But at the same time, if such is actually done by any other member, would the ANC do what they're actually doing to Jacob Zuma now? And I think that's why I say it puts them in a very, very tricky situation. But at the end of the day, we need to get exactly what then will be the rationale behind the thinking of the ANC right now.
1: Some members of the Veterans League believe that any premature action against Jacob Zuma could make him a martyr. Do you think that Uh, is a a clear assessment?
3: Well, I think that is um, what uh, most of them feel um, in terms of this matter. They feel that the best thing would be to ignore or pretend as if it does not exist whilst they're actually focusing on their programs. Look, former President Jacob Zuma has um, mostly relied on um, uh, an element of victimization, where he would always um, uh, want to be seen as someone that is not being properly treated. And I think he would want to use that if he's called to DC to galvanize support in and outside the ANC. And I think that's why the ANC now is saying, this is not an urgent matter to deal with. Maybe uh, they just have to wait and see what then will be his next move Was they're actually focusing on their internal programmes as the
1: party. Dr. Levy and thank you very much indeed. You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. Some voters have been receiving calls from the Democratic Alliance asking them to confirm registration details. The party saying it wants to make sure that voters are registered correctly. They say they're doing this because the IEC has new rules about voters only being eligible to vote at one place. So what are the rules around this and are these calls actually legal? Election operations manager James Apani is with us. So what's the answer?
4: Well, it is, um, as long as people allow it. So if you feel uncomfortable that you shouldn't be contacted, so you need to tell whoever is contacting you that, no, please don't contact me. It's similar to direct marketing. You know, there's a legislation, I can't remember the actual provisions of that legislation. So, yeah, a person obviously can be approached, but if you feel uncomfortable, then you can say, please don't contact me.
1: What kind of information is allowed to be solicited and what line are parties not allowed to cross?
4: Obviously, parties are not allowed to, if they have access to personal information, to use it for things other than uh, political activities. So, you may find that the party, such as the GA, will have received a voters' all from the IEC. And we provide that voters' all without ID numbers because that's personal information. But they will have a list of people that are registered in that area. But it is also possible that the GA uses, or any party, by the way other sources of information where they could uh, for instance the direct marketing uh, database and make a a connection between the people they see on the voter's roll and the people they have in direct marketing because we do not provide the cell phone numbers we acquire from the IEC so they're allowed to approach people as I said so they're not uh, allowed to proceed with this interaction if a particular citizen is not comfortable with it.
1: Right. So just to simplify that, then you are well within your rights to refuse to give them any information.
4: Absolutely. All right. Absolutely.
1: Let's take a look at some of the other issues facing the IEC Mm. at the moment. We're now into election year. Voter registration takes place later this week. So far, is the commission happy with the way in which voter registration has gone in the past? Are you sufficiently... uh, satisfied that uh, enough eligible people have registered
4: yes we are actually if you look at the registration weekend we had last year 18 and 19 November we had such a lot of people that actually participated in that registration weekend and the section of the society that people are always worried about is the youth and the youth actually came out in big numbers so if you record I don't have a stats in front of me here, but we had over 500,000 new registrations the majority of which were young people. And sometimes young people, we start talking young people from the ages of, um, you know, I think the the cutoff, sometimes we say 18 or so. But in this previous election, there were also people that were never registered before, which I consider to be young, which were around the age, just below 40, I think it was 35 or so. If you start calculating from there, there was just a high number of people who are young, if you look at the age 30 or 35 or Mm -hmm. so, some of which have never registered before so there's, there's quite a high interest and as we move to the second voter registration weekend we are anticipating a higher turnout more than the previous uh, registration weekend you know uh, you might be aware we also have got an online facility and for the first time in this election we opened the online voter registration overseas so since December last year, we've received quite a high number of registrations on that platform. So from 6 December up until the 15th of January this year, there were just over 7,000 know, registrations on, the, on that platform.
1: There will be a number of people casting their votes whenever that election yeah. is called. It does, of course, beg the question, doesn't it, as to whether the IEC yeah. has the capacity to manage such a large poll this time around?
4: well the ic has done so uh, on several occasions so we are now at a conference here yeah, where we talk into unrepresented political parties and one of the things that uh, my manager just mentioned here is the fact that the IEC always plans for over 100% you know 110% mm-hmm. so we all we go overboard to make sure that everybody is served and and the reason i'm talking about this over 100% planning and provisioning is because we're talking about, for instance, the ballot papers. So if people can register where, sorry, they can vote where they are registered, so chances are there will not be any issues such as the the common ones that are get reported so quickly, such as the uh, ballots running short. It's because our people, registered people, sometimes they go to voting stations where they are not registered. But we we talking to the unrepresented political parties, to make sure that they understand the processes including the fact that there's a provision now in this election wherein you cannot just rock up at any voting station to try to cast your vote even if it's for a national ballot because remember that's where you may have issues with insufficient ballots because people can just vote anyway in this election you need to notify us that you're going to be voting at a voting station other than the one you registered at
1: And just a final question, um, is the IEC confident that it has taken sufficient precautions against cyber threats?
4: Absolutely. We have done so and we continue to monitor and we are well aware we engage with uh, various companies and experts in terms of the uh, security issues in the cyber space. And, 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 you know, we have what we call DDoS mitigation. We've got the firewalls and we got continuous monitoring and we can see that people are making attempts and we are able to to block them uh, regularly so we are very uh, you know awake and alert but besides we, we we introduced a lot of security layers including encryption so each and every transaction we do either on our voting uh, voter management devices vmds or the one that you do online yourself as a voter each and every transaction is encrypted and as it travels across the web the moment it arrives in our database the database is also encrypted even if you were to get access to our database by by by, by chance you will not be able to use it because it's actually encrypted
1: james Apane, thank you very much indeed you're listening to money web at midday And finally, on the Monday edition of the program, News 24 is reporting that after a number of high profile incidents of travel scams, there are now calls for government to assist in the accreditation of travel agencies, as well as blacklisting agents found guilty of perpetuating these scams. Mansoor Sheikh Imam from the NFP, he's the parliamentary leader, has a view on this issue. He joins us now. Uh, Sheikh Imam, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. How prevalent are these scams?
5: Well, very, very good, thank you, and thank you for giving me the opportunity from a very warm and humid Durban right now. Well, let me say, you know, for many, many years, I think the public has been complaining about travel scams in the country. And despite that, it continues unabated. And I think my problem is that law enforcement and many other institutions that are responsible for travel between South Africa uh, and abroad, mm. and vice versa, have done very little or nothing to protect particularly the travellers. Uh, so, in this case, you know, I'm told this matter's been going on. I saw an article, actually, on in 2011, in the front page of the Argus, with exactly the same suspect in this matter, Shahid Davis, and nothing has happened.
1: Right, so it's been going on for a long time, but aren't people protected by the Consumer Protection Act?
5: Absolutely. They are supposed to be. You know, we have institutions for everything in this country. Just the point of how do you access it? Uh, Do you actually implement or put measures in place to protect these people? And actually, you are correct. It's a concern for me that consumer protection agencies in the country, law enforcement, many others, including institutions that are responsible for travel to and from the country. And in this particular case, Muslim organizations like Sahuk and many others, ought to have intervened you know the moment you heard such a thing was happening so yes indeed I think these structures are there but I don't think they're effective.
1: so the proposed accreditation that you're talking about as well as the background checks how would they be implemented
5: well first of all we must understand it's not really government's uh, responsibility to protect at the moment what is happening it falls on the law enforcement over and above that you're correct we've got the Consumer Council uh, and many other institutions you've got those that register these companies when complaints are lodged they need to look at that suspend these companies from operating uh, and ensure that the other structures that are responsible must take immediate measures to address this and protect the consumers which has not been happening.
1: So when you've put this to government what sort of response have you had and are you satisfied?
5: Well, yes, indeed. Uh, well, actually, first of all, you know, we are on recess and we go back after the state of the nation Address. This matter came up to me on the 27th night after 31 travelers were stranded. We dealt with it in the 28th. Immediately, I took it away from law enforcement and escalated to the Commercial Crime Unit, who have done a fantastic piece of work. I must admit, tomorrow they are meeting many others. But let me tell you, by virtue of News 24 and many others reporting on this, the number of further complaints that have come going back many years, you'll be shocked. In fact, there are people all over the country now that want to report these cases. But from a government perspective, uh, I have written to them, we will, when we go back, deal with the necessary portfolio committees to see how mm-hmm. we can best right. address it.
1: Sheikh, the ma'am, just one final question. As you and I are having this conversation, and I do need a brief answer, it occurs to me that more and more people surely are booking travel online and that the travel agency sector itself, in many ways, is becoming redundant.
5: Yes, indeed. But when it comes to issues like uh, you know, pilgrimage to the Holy Land and things, People go in groups, and they don't only go in groups, they are escorted there and back with people that have got the necessary experience and skills in going on this pilgrimage and guiding them. That is the only Mm. difference. So even if you go online to do your booking. They want to be part and parcel of a guide, a tourist guide. In this case, it will be somebody that has the experience of going. That is the only difference. And there is a
1: a clear differentiation there. Manzoor Sheikh Imam, thank you very much indeed. Um, As we finish the program, other stories on our radar. The KwaZulu-Natal government is hoping President Ramaphosa will declare a state of disaster in areas devastated by floods. And Ron DeSantis, the hard-right governor of Florida, has ended his campaign for the Republican presidential nomination. And as expected, has endorsed Donald Trump. MoneyWeb at midday. We are live at noon weekdays. Then we're up as a podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Listen to the daily live stream
0: of MoneyWeb at midday or download episodes on moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.